0: The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com weightloss weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss plushcare.com slash weightloss.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to Dance Knows History. I'm enjoying my first day of voluntary isolation in my own home, which, for a podcast host and occasional writer, feels much like a normal day. Except this time I've got children at home. Actually, I've got my youngest, Orla, on my lap now. How are you doing, Orla? Good.
0: I'm just doing... Perfect. She... Blah, blah, blah.
1: Well, perfect, I think, is an exaggeration. I think Ola inherited the Snow family broadcasting hyperbolic tendency, but she's behaving adequately. Let's just say that. Adequately, Ola. How about that?
2: I'm <laughs> adequate.
0: Tea. Blah, right. blah, blah.
1: Right. So I like the way she ended everything in. I like the way you ended everything in blah, blah, blah. That's, that's what you think your daddy does for a living. And actually, sometimes I think she's probably right. Um, If you wish to go and take advantage of our unbelievable sale on HistoryHit.tv, new programs being added all the time, spent Monday just before the lockdown, filming at Winter Castle, some great programs there for you to to watch when they come out on HistoryHit.tv, you can go and use the code POD3, POD three. you get a month for free and then you get three months for just one pound euro or dollar for each of those three months. And frankly, who knows where we're going to be in four months' time, everyone, so that doesn't sound like a bad trade. You can uh, watch the World's Best History Channel for four months for just three pounds, euros or dollars by using the code pod 3 TV. You will see interviews such as this one. I recorded this interview with Ed West just as the coronavirus was getting into its stride. We discussed his political affiliation, which was somewhat unusual for some of his generation. He is an avowed conservative. And we had a, a fun chat about why he thinks conservatives are right, but perhaps also why they're destined to keep losing. His book, Small Men on the Wrong Side of History, is out now. Uh, Enjoy this podcast. Please go and check out historyhit.tv and use the code POD3. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. This is unfashionable. You're self-identifying as conservative. You're a young, otherwise normal millennial guy. What is a conservative?
2: Uh, I should say I'm actually just the last the last year as a Generation X, but yeah, yeah I'm so fairly my, young. So am um, I, but Yes, I suppose the, the, the point of my book was a form of self-therapy in the way, because most of my contemporaries, my age group, are obviously of, of the centre-left, progressive-left, university-educated, London-based, and um, I've always been slightly different, and as I've got older, I've always been a bit more conservative, but as I've got older, I just assumed everyone else had become more conservative with me, because that's always how it happened. And as I got older, in fact, the opposite. Most people are actually, on social issues, becoming more liberal, more left-wing. And that suddenly occurred to me uh, as I hit my mid-30s that there was actually something quite different happening, a change in our culture. And the more I looked at it in actual studies, both in the States and Britain, the old thing about uh, people becoming more conservative in their 30s is is no longer happening. I mean, there's a big change. So the kind of spur for this was finally... I'd worked in this book for a while. Then when 2017 came and, the, the, you know, the Corbyn lost, but Tories did so badly amongst young people. And not just young people, but quite middle-aged people our age. and they're, Well, younger younger middle-aged. No, and right. prime of life sort of time. Uh, prime of life people. Um, yeah. And they were all still completely repulsed by uh, conservatism. They didn't like Corbyn either. And he managed to basically sabotage my book by massively losing two years later. <laughs> but um, I suppose the essence of conservatism is... Uh, I suppose it's a... It's a it's a mixture between a sort of psychological makeup and a sort of political ideology that dates back to Edmund Burke, who I come back to. So it's a mixture of that and a sort of predisposition towards a certain... I suppose pessimism is a, is a core part. Uh, a belief in uh, the limits of human nature. You know, I start with Cassandra, the ancient Greek myth, said, you know, by the way, the, the Greeks are going to destroy us. Don't Don't listen to that idea. They don't want peace. It's all disaster. <laughs> and, you know, she was right... And so since then, you know, pessimists have always been quite annoying to be around, but they're often... All right, so right down to the modern age, you know, from the French Revolution to communism, and to a certain extent, modern progressive left ideas, which I think are, have a utopian...
1: Well, but let of. me pick you up on that, because that's weird, isn't it? Because I, we all have a tendency to be a bit pessimistic, but actually, but look at the reality of what we've done. I don't want to be Whiggish here, buddy, but we are sitting in a city... With an unimaginable quality of life compared to two hundred years ago, unimaginably low uh, young men, sadly, still too often stam each other, but unimaginably small numbers compared to you know medieval Oxford, famously from that study. Um, healthcare outcomes extraordinary. We're flying around the world. I mean, there are big problems, but you can see you can't say that pessimism, people have been right. If you're pessimistic in 1780, got the whole world's going shit, that's not entirely accurate, is it? Uh, no, of course. I mean, it comes down to... I mean, Burke was
2: the original pessimist. Burke was pessimistic about the French Revolution, and he turned out to be completely right. And there are times when pessimism is needed because natural human disposition is, to, is towards optimism in some sense, You know, because otherwise life would just be unbearable. And to go back to the Greek myth, you know, the Pandora and Pandora's box, like hope leaves last because we all need hope. That's why we embark on, on great visions and projects. And that's why you need conservatives pessimists say actually i don't think that's a very good idea you know i don't think over the beheading the king and just starting it from completely from scratch is a great idea so it's the Whigs, the Whig history is obviously i mean you're a Whig and you know nothing wrong with that and you're going from you know barbarism and sort of medievalism towards this great new upy, sunny uplands um the conservative, i suppose would say well once we become wealthy yes we become more liberal that's the direction of travel i mean and i think that's the major driver of why we've become more liberal since the 60s we're just much much more wealthy. Okay. Um I would say it goes that direction rather than the other way around.
1: Okay, let, can we, let's park social liberalism for a second uh and I want to get back to like so the political conservatism so your Burke you're, you're, uh, the idea that time-hallowed institutions are better than the ones that we can just dream yeah. up on the back of a fag packet and Costa. Yeah. Um what is interesting about the modern world is is that Trump and Johnson are not conservatives, right? I mean in that by that definition are they? I mean they're just burn it all down, double the national debt. I mean they're kind of isn't that part of the problem of the even the, of the words that we're using now?
2: I would say, I mean, Boris is probably more of a Whig than anything. I might say he's a liberal conservative. Trump is more, I mean, he's such a psychologically interesting person that it's hard to say, but he has a certain uh, revolutionary aspect to it. Yeah. It's a kind of revolutionary conservatism, which is, I think, uh, this is what I deal in the later chapters, when sort of institutions... Institutions are core to conservatives, but when they tend to move to the left, institutions become sort of captured by liberals, and that's what happens in the English-speaking world. Most of our higher institutions are overwhelmingly liberal. They would vote Remain. Everyone would tend to be Democrat in the States and um, left-leaning over here. Then conservatives tend to become... anti-institutions become kind of unmoored. They become sort of revolutionary conservatives, which is a bit of what populism is about, especially in Trump's thing. I mean, Trump and it's the whole Trumpism thing is partly about sort of burning down the whole institutions. It's because they're just infested
1: with... It doesn't um, feel very Birkin though, does it?
2: No, that's not, but that's not very Birkin. And that's, that, that sort of forms a split in Conservative thought because, you know, some Conservatives are more the status quo ones. And this came in Brexit as well. So I started off as quite pro-Brexit beforehand because I the idea of national sovereignty. But as it gone on, there came sort of a division in, amongst a lot of Conservatives because I'm more of a status quo Conservative and I always think, well, however bad things are, whoever follows is probably going to be even worse and once they start to become you sort of have this sort of radical populist talk of, you know, attacking Goldman Sachs, that sort of unnerves me, because I just poor, think these guys are those sort poor of poor guys. Right. Yeah. But saying, <laughs> who, you know, you will, might not think? like them, but they're institutions and they're, the alternative is gonna be worse, right? So I, some of some of the Brexiteers are sort of status quo conservatives, but some of them are actually quite you know radical, and revolutionary,
1: want a new. I know. Thing. I, so I, that I, is the
2: kind of contradiction.
1: I was a bit. I was a Remainer, right? And I'm walking around going, I, I feel like the only conservative in the room. I'm walking around a country that's one of the richest countries in the world, has achieved a, a level of peace from an active insurgency that was going on in part of this country until the 1990s, um, where there's work to do, but living standards are one of the highest in the world. It's people like living here. People oh, nice. satisfaction index very really high. Why are we Why are we torching it all? Like, you know, it's right. a, a both, bunch of small c conservative remain Both sides, in a way,
2: think they, they're they trying to stop a revolutionary change. I mean, both Brexiteers will say, like, we want our country back because all the changes that have happened to our country, well, curiously, Remainers always say, I want my country back, and I think that's something to do with the difference of the psychology of the two. But they both talk exactly, you know, the way that UKIP voters talk in 2011 is how a lot of Remainers talk in 2018, you know, why have these guys changed everything, everything's going fine, right, so... Um okay, so I mean it's you... often in politics people think don't realise the other side are actually thinking similar things about them that they're thinking of so um and that's kind of paradox of our politics.
1: So do you think that people that were um conservatives after so from Burke onwards, um so you've got the Duke of Wellington in the eighteen twenties going, the British Constitution is perfect. He stood up in the House of Commons and it ended his premiership. Um because it was what had we have inherited, it seems to work, let's not smash it up. Do you think, from the title of your book, do you think conservatives are sort of destined to lose out to this natural optimism and naivety and, and utopianism that, that the rest of us all have?
2: I think it, I don't know, I think it comes and goes. And some, some issues, things move back. Uh, I mean, with education, when I was growing up, education was very progressive, much radical, and that's moved back a lot. And on that issue, uh, progressives have sort of conceded. I mean, in the state, particularly the issues of crime. Um, have gone back a little bit. You know, in the 60s, everyone had very liberal ideas about, you know, we just put few people in prison, everything we find. I mean, almost no one in the States really believes that now. Um, I think another issue is the idea of, of human nature, which has been very influenced in the late 20th century by uh, blank slate ideas, which is behind a lot of progressivism that were basically all formed by, uh, the you know, the environment around us rather than our genes. I think that's coming unstuck a lot. I sort of allude to that, but it's sort of outside my area of science, so I don't really want to get stuck into it. But, I mean, that's the Rousseau kind of idea that we're all, um, you know, victims of society. I think that's swinging back as well. So some conservative ideas do win out, but I think the main problem is because liberalism tends to correlate with um, openness, which also... So, obviously, the art... That's the main reason why the arts will always be left of centre. And since the days of Shelley, the arts has been, particular has been very sort of, you know, left of centre left wing. And so the liberal story gets told much better, you know, in plays, in novels, in films. So their sort of story is the one that sort of gets remembered by the conservatives. I mean, look at, you know, the idea of our 60s, even though the liberals in the States sort of basically lost most of the arguments, like, you know, people voted Nixon, most people hated, and the word liberal became a dirty word over there. All the films we remembered, all the plays basically tell the liberal narrative, right? No, there aren't any, I mean, maybe like from that period, Death Wish is the only like conservative film there is, but that came at a period of huge fear about crime so that was, it was
1: unusual but when you look i don't want to be all panglossian but when when you look at the last 200 years since burke um, are c- conservatives can connect what, what is the point of conservatives they, they can sl- they can warn and slow the pace of change but ultimately it's hard to think of a field in which they've successfully i, I guess you could argue that they conservatives like someone like peel is somebody who respects the past, tries to bring, is up for reform and change, but will but with a heavy with a sort of duty obligation to bring the best bits of the past with them.
2: Sure, I mean I wouldn't say conservatism is lost. I mean Britain is the most conserv- politically conservative in the true sense that our constitution is pragmatic. It's make do. It's it's and that's and that's why any. That's what we've that's, done before. Yeah. So while the the constitution of other states like France are basically theoretical, they're utilitarian and they are sort of unconservative. And well, the British state has been fantastically successful the last 200 years. So it's a sort of argument for um, conservative views, I mean, not just compared to the terrible disasters of communism and fascism and all these other kind of things, but even even you know, the French example. I mean, unfortunately, now the British state seems to be going through a sort of a crisis point because we don't know... You know, it's all been a sort of gentleman's agreement up to this point, and now we don't know what's going on. Now next. the
1: gentlemen have left the room.
2: But you know, Britain has been conservatively ruled, and I mean, even our sort of uh, even our Labour tradition is very con- small C conservative, and was until that. was a kind of yeah, conservative a conservative. And, just, figurine, yeah, and then yeah. a lot of former Labour voters are sort of very nostalgic about that idea of the small C sort of social conservatism of Labour. And
1: yet, and yet, Britain has been kind of transformed beyond all recognition from 100 years ago, right? So. So you are you, like, you're comfortable with the present you don't wish that we were living in a sort of edwardian social setting or i mean what?
2: no i, I mean cuz nothing beats medical technology nothing beats uh, dentistry, dentistry infant, dating apps you know very useful infant mortality is a third of what it was even when i was growing up so i mean there are there are huge changes and progress but i don't think these necessarily depend on liberal ideas liberal ideas i think tend to come from them because when um we're less when we're more comfortable and less fearful, we tend to become naturally more liberal. I mean, one of the interesting things is, one of the theories, I mean, I don't go into it because it's like with psychology, so many of the, the ideas are now being blown apart. But um, you know, one of the theories was that it was to do with sort of germs and the more susceptible to germs we are, the more conservative, because the more sort of fearful we are of outsiders and of things. And so as as all our germs have been defeated over the 20th century, we become much more liberal. So that will test the theory the next
3: from this legendary franchise. Learn about Yasuke, the African warrior who entered the trusted circle of Japan's most powerful warlord. Hear accounts of cultures colliding when Portuguese missionaries landed on Japanese shores and follow Japan's journey through years of division and bitter warfare to unification at the dawn of the modern era. Make sure you catch every episode by following Echoes of History, a Ubisoft podcast brought to you by History Hit, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
1: Um, do you feel that to be a conservative is to be on the, you know, on the? why do you feel it's on the wrong side of history? Is it because of the dominance of liberal storytellers and artists and creatives?
2: Yes, I, th- I think, you know, uh, the quote is from Barack Obama. He was talking about Al- Al-Qaeda, who obviously I'm not comparing what
1: the, the conservatives are moving
2: to, but... I, you know, I just list all the. If you just wanted to list all the cool people in politics, and you know, the films and in culture generally, they tend to be on the left because they are better at telling a story and better at being cool. So, but it's also a reference to the basic Christian elements of of the left. So you know, modern liberalism is basically a heresy of of um, Christianity, and lots of people have, have come up with this analogy up to Tom Holland's brilliant book about Christianity. So they've inherited this Christian idea that things are going better until the final days when, you know, all good will triumph over evil. And communists believe this and liberalism in its modern form sort of believes this. And that's why they talk about the wrong side of history, about conservatives. Their, their argument is like, we're going to win. You're going to look like a big in the future. Whatever your argument is, you know, you're going to be the loser. Um and that's where you come to, oh, why do you have so many women in your cabinet? You know, Trudeau's argument, oh, it's because it's 2015. It's that sort of argument. It's just the current year, so we have to be progressive. So I'm sort of doing that sort of tongue-in-cheek, say, okay, yeah, right, we're the baddies. That's, that's our role in this story. But I think it's not an entirely fair one.
1: I remember Lord Salisbury, who was famous Conservative uh, Prime Minister, who Great said... Man. Well, I, was, I thought you might be a fan. And he goes, it's best, given that when you do things, they're likely to go wrong, it's best not do them at all. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that, that's Conservative from a point of view of an extraordinarily wealthy man at the apogee of British political power, which was itself at the apogee of its own kind of imperial domination. So isn't there a problem with Conservative? And it sort of depends, it very much depends, I mean, well, I said, but all politics, where you're sitting. I mean, it's... Uh, of course.
2: Yeah. Uh, I think he has a certain, I don't know, he means... Salisbury went on the things. I don't know if I like him ironically or if it's now non-ironically. Um, but I think his, his thing about you know change is always for the worse. Is uh, I mean, again, after the referendum, I felt this like, you know, how much worse would it have been if we had not done that? I mean, that's, that's my view of a lot of things, especially uh, innovation and politics. A lot of the time we could just like, let's do nothing and things will you know, be better.
1: But isn't it funny, like, am I making the same mistake Salisbury made? Like, am I saying, oh, what well, the modern world's brilliant, and in 200 years' time they'll laugh at us, because they think, look at those idiots, they were still living with chronic, you know, massive um, social inequality, and they had poor health outcomes, they had mental health problems. So shouldn't we shouldn't we be trying more actively? I mean, why am I right about Remain, and why was Salisbury right at that time? Because it, it looks absurd to us now. Night, late 19th century, Britain was in, you know, need of dire reform and... and, and uh, and, and, and development, no, but you, me,
2: you measure a society by what it's inherited, I think. I mean, and so people, the Victorians, this is Victorian Britain is always used an example of how terrible it was. But you look at the society the Victorians inherited. It was appalling. And the one they left behind was incredibly improved. I mean, it was so much better in every way. They'd managed to reduce all the bad indices of life um, and made a much, um, much healthier, happier society. And that was essentially a pretty conservative one. Um, so I think you have to just judge people by what they inherit, you know, so that they can do the best they can. Um, I mean, I mean, I think there are lots of progressive ideas. I think in the future, people 100 years might laugh at a lot. But, I mean, the fact is, I don't even dare about laugh laughing now because yeah. <laughs> we don't in the 16th century, don't laugh at the church. But.
1: Have you got any examples of conservative politicians you admire who, who in, it left better situations behind them. That was
2: Kenneth Clark, definitely. I mean, everyone my generation got a job because he was a good. But you know, he's um, a slightly controversial figure, I suppose. These days, he's divide, divisive between because of that issue. You know, he was never going to agree with this party. I mean, the interesting thing about um, politics is, you know, we always think at the time, oh, are these, who are these. Sort of pygmies. I remember in the mid '90s, everyone thought that our politicians are oh, they're all idiots, and now looking back, they seem like giants compared to people yeah. now. But maybe in that like, 30th time, when
1: who knows? Well, what the, who Ed is Miller, the Ed Miller, the Ed Miller fan club is re, re, in well, resurgence. Isn't Miller there, Band might
2: be back. You never know. So things can always get worse. That's my message.
1: <laughs> things can get worse. Uh, but what, what I find fascinating about conservatism, as it's used on the internet now and in North America. And liberalism—is the words have almost detached any kind of meaning? Like, to be conservative in North America is to be kind of um, have strong views about women's reproductive rights and gender identity. Like, why are these things? What, and, and yet, not really care about f- smashing up constitutional norms. Like, is that a thing? Is that a problem for you? Like, the words, are the other definitions going going—is it impossible to write this book? Surely.
2: I don't know. I think, I mean, abortion is, a. I mean, America is much more religious than Britain. Abortion is a big issue. I think it is a genuine conservative issue, if you if you believe that. I suppose, I mean, abortion is an interesting one because it became, it's the one kind of cultural issue in, in America where the rights actually haven't lost. Like they've maintained the same state in popular opinion. The popular opinion, you know, issue on that, beliefs on that have not changed over like 30, 40 years while on every single other issue, conservatives have sort of hemorrhaged support. And you know the, the liberals have basically won. Um, generally, I mean, conservatism is—I is, mean, all politics is basically an alliance between lots of disparate groups, right? So, in the states for a while, it was a kind of mixture of sort of Reaganites, small states, you know, economic liberals and these social conservatives, and that's with Trump has sort of smashed that up. He's, there's a sort of shift going on now. And there, uh, it's been it's called the uh, Great Realignment. I don't know who coined that phrase, but I think it's a great one. And I think I mean the same things happen in Britain. Basically, you see the Conservative Party is becoming much more working class. We don't really have the same social conservatism because we don't really have the same amount of religion. But you know the Conservative, the right wing party is becoming much more economically statist and culturally conservative, while the left wing party becomes much more economically like right wing, while being socially liberal. And that that party becomes the party basically of the elites, just as the Democrats now have all the wealthiest districts in the states. So, you know, Trump is is sort of a conservative, but he's a sort of populist conservative. I mean, you know, it's hard to talk about political ideology with him because he's not... I mean, I don't think he's read a book before, so, I mean, he's not... He wants someone not, to watch
1: Sunset Boulevard and Gone with the Wind. Yeah, yes, actually. Um,
2: well, I mean, so this is where the comparisons of Boris, sort of, I think, are, you know, not fair because Boris Johnson is whatever his sins. He, you know, he does think about things. He, he's well-read... He does have an ideology, I think. You know, I think his London mayor time as mayor was probably his truest ideology. I think he's a sort of liberal conservative to a certain extent. He's pragmatic, so he thinks this is the way things are going, and that's. And that's so, very-
1: so what's the big realignment? So the great realignment is now between. Is it? Is it that? Um, so Theresa May hinting at it, and Donald Trump talking about globalists. Is it? Is this idea of people that are willing to accept these gigantic uh, changes in terms of movement of people? Right. So the pan pan national culture.
2: It's about glo- I mean it's globalization versus you know nationalism. Those are the, that's the big that is the big divisive point. Where in the past it might be in economics. I mean class was the big issue. It was you know in the past the British politics was out a sort of middle class alliance between liberals and conservatives opposed to a sort of socialist working class. And in 1945 people in Britain voted incredibly strictly on the class lines. The overwhelming majority of working class people vote Labour. Most middle class people voted Tory. Now that's completely changed around. Uh, more working class people vote Tory and, and more middle class, you know, if you go to nice areas of London now, everyone has a Labour flag outside them. And you can predict someone's um, opinion. And just as if you go to many, you know, young, young one class guys in particular, will vote for the Tory party, because politics is about identity. It's essentially it's a kind of continuation then, of religion, that, almost. But know. that
1: is a problem for the conservative narrative, though, isn't it? Because then, if the conservative big C is just not being... I mean, what what if it is just about reimposing um, movement of you know reimposing barriers to trade and and movement of people and ideas and students? I mean, that this is something that Britain, if, if Britain stretching all the way back to the seventeenth century, has been a sort of entrepot of trade and ideas and things going on and armies uh, going on. Sure, but I mean, free movement of people is a very recent. Britain has never been. No, but no, London was always this like incredibly dynamic city full of immigrants, full of people. And it's so, always
2: had very small numbers of immigrants relative to 90, post-97. I mean, that is a new thing. That is no, no, the I, modern yeah, world.
1: Sure, so. No, I know, but... OK, so then you're... So the, but if, if the remedy, quote-unquote, to that is to is to build quite a different kind of British state, doesn't that doesn't feel very conservative, though, does it?
2: I mean, it's not... No, I, I mean, it depends what you mean by conservatism. I would say there's a split, right? So conserv- there's the conservative paradox. I think it was David Willits. I mean, all ideologies have complete paradoxes because people want everything, right? So he is saying that the free, the free market, uh, sort of neoliberal economics is, you know, I don't like the phrase, but that's what's used. They do sort of destroy everything conservatives hold dear. I mean, they make change. They make radical change. Everything becomes um, different. And this is, so if you go back to all those radical movements, like the Luddites, they were basically conservative. They didn't want change. They wanted to keep their old jobs. They didn't want this um, mechanization. So under Thatcher, Britain became far, far more liberal because the city of London became dominant and there's nothing more liberal or liberalising than finance. It's like the free movement of money. If you go into financial worlds now, you know, um, you know, briefly, I, for various reasons, worked at a finance company and, you know, they were just devastated by Brexit. They're all... I mean, for financial and emotional reasons, right? Because they're, yeah, they are an international community. They have overwhelmingly liberal values. There's like one Brexit in the company and he was like in his 60s. Um, and it was considered sort of like a darling eccentric because it was so unusual. I mean, that is that is the most liberal world imaginable and that's all down to Thatcher's revolution. So that's the kind of contradiction at the heart of conservatism. And I think Brexit is going to bring huge difficulties to that because there are two visions of Brexit, right? There's the, the Whig vision, which is like we're sort of, Buccaneering, there's a lot of you know pirate talk about we're going to go on the high seas and you know and basically it's the 19th century liberal vision of free trade. while well, then there's a sort of more Tory Brexit, which is basically like, like you know it's like people want to live and retire to Hobbiton to the Shire. They want like a their yeah, it's, own like, it's community, like the, it's like the la-
1: 1945 Labour consensus exactly like right. So stuff the, made in Britain, the, stuff.
2: The, the fact that you know the 1945 Labour very sceptic and very similar reasons, and they would fit perfectly in with modern day the sort of, I don't know, the red wall, new Tories who are all going that way. So these two visions of, um, of Brexit, right, it will take a very skilled politician to bridge those and, and satisfy both camps. I don't know how it's going to happen.
1: Yeah. So, OK, so, we, like, so we're going to call it contemporary politics. So we're coming back essentially to what conservatism is and why you are one. Um, what, what, is, what is it, Alice? So it's, in essence, it's a sense that the world is fine as it is. Change may bring catastrophic results,
2: Right, no, I mean, like conservatism, so, oh, wait. to go back to the, I uh, started at the beginning with a basic sort of description of what it is and the main difference people have between conservatives, what they misunderstand is they mix up with what um, Jerry Muller, the American academic, calls orthodoxy. So orthodoxy means, like, nothing should change because it's a preordained sort of, almost all, always a religious reasons like, this is how things are, you must not question that. So conservatism has always embraced change to a certain extent. I mean, and then Burke says, you know, society that doesn't change is unable to um, improve itself, and um, conservatives just believe like institutional proof. So, if an institution is there, it's the, it's giving some proof that it has a reason for its there. So, the burden of proof is on the people to change. I mean, this is why like Blair was so disliked by the sort of a certain section of conservative thoughts because he loved sort of the meddling instincts. As um, you, you know, they wanted to get rid of yeah, get rid of the House of Lords, change of things like and you know like it's fine like it's been there for a long time so like why change it because of your you know your first priority is this doesn't make sense in theory so i have to change it so conservatives believe that the burden of proof on on people changing stuff has to be well you have to prove why your your you know new world is going to be better because a lot of the time that's not going to be the case right um and, and just the general principle you know like Again, I don't want to go into biology because a sort of scientifically illiterate conservative using those analogies is always a bad idea. But, you know, in evolution, small, small, tiny mutations are usually often an advantage. That's how evolution works. But huge mutations are almost always terrible. They catastrophic results. Huge change by its definition in history has always been bad, almost always. While I think that you know, small, tiny incremental changes are the other way forward. So it's basically, I mean, someone said, you know, conservatism is basically liberalism with a speed limit on, so.
1: <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you very much indeed. Your book is Small Men on the Wrong Side of History. Thank you. Thanks very much, Ed West.
2: We will have the history on our shoulders. All this tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished and liquidated. One child, one teacher, one book, and one... Can change
1: the world. He tells us what is possible, not just in the pages of history books, but in our own lives as well.
2: I have faith
0: in you.
1: Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Just before you go, bit of a favor to ask. I totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money. Makes sense. But if you could just do me a favour, it's for free. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you give it a five-star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review, purge yourself, give it a glowing review, I'd really appreciate that. It's tough out there, law of the jungle out there, and uh, I need all the fire support I can get. So that will boost it up the charts. It's so tiresome, but if you could do it, I'd be very, very grateful. Thank you.
3: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.